welcome to the healing art of being you, where we come together to discuss different techniques in healing the physical, emotional, and spiritual body to bring you closer to waking up each day as the highest and most authentically wonderful version of yourself. After last week's little bit of a teaser on our conversation with Sarah, I've asked Allison to take us further down the road with her experience, knowledge, and sexual health, age-appropriate sex ed, and enthusiastic consent. We've had an overwhelmingly positive response to her perspective and advice on this, and I think it's something that deserves an episode of its own. Allison is a doctorate in pelvic floor physical therapy and a mother to three incredibly well-educated children, and just the perfect person to deliver this message. And alongside her, Chelsea Dameron, an intuitive health coach and body code practitioner, helps us to understand how the way we are raised and the way we grow to understand sexuality manifests in the energy body. Stay tuned to see how all of these ideas intersect and how you can use them in your own life. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Chelsea and Allison. Your role specifically in being here is you know all of the things we talk about with like how like I have I have a, a stronger confidence in the connection to the divine and I needed you to bring me into the body like that's why you're here like you are the rather than even a pit stop you're like the diving board you're like the starting block and you are you were sent here to be a receiver of these divine souls to help them reconnect to their physical vessel and learn the really learn themselves but like that that is why you have like your gifts are they are the same they are directed in a different manner and it is um like it, it really you you have gifts that people don't have like you know things about other people's bodies that are not like able to be known any other way which is why you are so divinely meant to be in this position that you're in and when discussing things like this joy this this um, love and the, the ability to receive joy and love and the experiences that make it feel unsafe for us to do so, it all goes back to that then being applied to sexual joy and love as well and all of that emotion. And so it's like, as a child, because of the traumas that we go through, we are taught to fear that it is not safe to express our fullest self, to laugh as loud as we want to, to cry as loud as we want to, to um, be as joyful, be as excited, think everything is so cute, like just be as affected and impacted by the experience of life as you are, because that triggers our parents and our parents are our safety. So what's easier to process as a child is to, assume that you're the broken one, right? Not the parents who can't let you experience those emotions, but you, you experiencing them is creating an environment in which you don't feel safe because of their reaction. So instead of 
identifying that the problem is the receiving end instead of the expression, we backpedal, go back into our shell and get in this safe space where we disassociate from our own emotions, our own experience, and exist solely to regulate everybody else's emotions and experiences, especially as women. And then we end up going through life, piling on all of the confirmation bias, all the experience, all the traumas on top of it. And we end up in these situations where we're then supposed to be able to understand sexual desire and, um, you know, consent and like what you do want and what you don't want. And it's impossible to know because you've not actually allowed yourself to identify what you wanted and what lit you up and what made you feel excited and happy and joyful your entire life. And so then when you try to lean into things that make you feel happy, excited, and joyful, sexual intercourse, sexual experiences, sexual desire in general, which is a very natural part of our lives, right? Of our biology, we're shamed for it because that triggers the wounds within our parents, right? And so it's that that um, conservative purity, shame, and guilt cycle that has been passing down from generation to generation to generation. And it goes, don't like it, it, it impacts so much more than just like purity culture and like sex in general. I feel like what's been shown to me recently is that strong connection and how like all of my clients who are dealing with these difficulties in expressing love, in receiving love and receiving joy, it also manifests within their sexual relationships and within their sexual traumas and their ability to feel confident within themselves and tap into that desire and that like fire within themselves. And then their bodies are manifesting it physically. And they're like, mm -mm, no penetration. I can't enjoy this. What do you mean? Right? They shut it all down. And so even just talking to Haley yesterday, right? It was this huge aha moment that's like this shame and guilt for feeling sexual desire and joy, like doesn't just impact our sexual desire. It actually impacts everything all around. And as a result, we are thrown off. Like we don't, we don't key in on the actual imbalance, the actual problem because of all that shame and guilt and because of all the gaslighting and because of all the programming from the external sources. And so it's like, a, we are at war with our own selves. And how are we supposed to identify and like align with your most authentic self? if that voice in every way is shame and guilt. It's like a- That is a great summary of all of the things right there. <laughs> Though I will say, I feel much more important in my being the diving board than the pit stop. <laughs> you are, you're definitely, we'll yeah, you're not a pit stop. Yeah, you're a starting block for sure, for sure. I think it is, I think it's insanely important that people are given the opportunity to like a express what they're actually feeling from a young age, like to not be shamed into their experience, to not be 
mm-hmm. stifled in their emotions, to learn that their emotions are valid and that they can be expressed in the safety of their parents and in their own home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there needs to be, there, there's a time and a place to express emotions safely. We have conversations with our kids right. all the time. Like if you fall off your bike in the middle of the road, I respect that it hurts, but you can be hurt on the sidewalk because if you stay in the road, you're going to be dead. So like, yes, mm-hmm. there's a time and a place to express that you're hurt, but sometimes you have to get to a safe place. You know, we have mm-hmm. lots of conversations and there's, there's a respect, like when you start off a family with teaching that emotions are safe and that you can express them and that, yes, anger is a healthy emotion to have. Anger is healthy. You need to be able to learn how to express anger safely. A safe expression of anger would be potentially scraping into a pillow, hitting a punching bag, um, you know, going for a run. All mm-hmm. of those things could be safe expressions of mm-hmm. anger. Um, screaming at your sibling or punching a sibling or or self-harm, those are not self-expressions of anger that are safe. And when you can kind mm-hmm. of set that boundary for, for kids and teach them how to express anger safely, then there's a respect of everybody else in the family of, okay, leave them alone. They need to go express their anger. And then when they're done, they'll come back and we'll go ahead and resolve the issue. I was very upset this past weekend. We were in a hotel room. She wanted to watch a show. It wasn't her turn. She was exhausted. She about lost her mind. I mean, just like, and she's a, she's a big emotions kind of kiddo anyway. Oh yeah. So she's so angry and I didn't realize what had happened. I was in the bathroom. And so when I came out, she's sitting here and she is just like, <sighs> like screaming into her pillow. And I walked out, I was like, what, what is going on in here right now? You know, like I had an attitude and Tanner goes, Aria just needs to scream into her pillow for a bit. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine then. You know, she had nowhere else to go. We're in a hotel room, you know, it wasn't like she was just doing right. a temper tantrum just for attention. She was trying to get this anger out. There was a respect from her. Yeah. They weren't like, oh my gosh, shut up, Aria, it's so loud, we're trying to watch something. Like they weren't getting upset about it. And they no. told me, she needs Right, they were like, mom. Pillow. And I'm like, yeah, I was like, oh, like, okay. Cool. I don't need to do anything with this. And then she did that for a few minutes. And when she was done, I was like, are you feeling better? She was like, yeah. And I was like, do you want to come snuggle up with me? And she just snuggled right in and she was good to go. But it's like, if, if I were to have come out and said, we are all in a hotel room together. Nobody needs to be listening. Yeah. To us. You can't go waking up the other, other rooms and all this kind of stuff. Well, then yep. it's like, okay, I'm not allowed to express anger. Okay. So the next time I express anger, mm-hmm. I won't say anything. And I won't do anything. I'll shove it down deep. Yeah. And I'm going to let it build and build exactly. and build until I haul off and smack someone. And exactly. the same thing goes for, like, in the other avenue, when, especially as children are starting to learn about their bodies and starting to experience, like, I mean, there it is not uncommon for, like, little girls to be riding on their bike and kind of wiggle back and forth a little bit. Like, ooh, that's kind of an interesting sensation. No. And like, of course, if you were to come over and be like, what are you doing? Stop doing that because it looks inappropriate. Yeah. It's because they're accidentally stimulating their clitoris. They don't know what it means. And it feels kind of good. No. Like, let it happen. Exactly. You know what? Like, exactly. Like you want to, that's not a really safe way to ride a bike right now. By wiggling so far side to side, you might fall off. Like, let them know what the actual problem is, right? If they're on right. training wheels and they're sitting in their garage wiggling back and forth, whatever. Let them do what they're going to do. They're exploring their body. It's fine. Right. You know? Yeah. Okay. So I actually have a question about that then. So I feel like something that, you know, being the non-mom over here, um, something that was an interesting experience for us because I was a girl, 
obviously. Okay, that, that was probably not what I should have said. Um, I identify as Still female are. and so does my sister. Okay, there, thank you. I am female and so is my sister and my mom is the caretaker, not like the, the babysitter for my sister's two boys. So my mom being someone who does not have experience with boys, it's a whole new world for her. And Michael being Michael, um, I think dealt with the boundaries that were, he's a lot like Tanner, we'll go there. Um, in the sense that like the emotional stuff that he needed probably wasn't really there in his childhood yeah, yeah. early years. Um, and so Johnny coming out is like a tornado, right? And he is a lot more boy. And so there's been a lot more of the grabbing of his own body parts, right? How are you, how have you handled that in the past? And what, how do you tell parents, like, what do you tell them to do with, with all of that? Knowing that, like, it's not a dirty thing, but like, you know, can we talk about that a little bit? Can you tell me what you think? Your thoughts? So the, my first thought is that the first thing is, is like, don't draw big attention to it. I think there's this instinct from a lot of parents to make it stop immediately because, oh my gosh, heaven forbid somebody see. And there are some parents out there who are a little bit like, um, look at me parenting, you know, like they, they feel like the spotlight oh, is yeah. be on them. They're very, they're very big with their parenting, you know, whereas mm -hmm. like, no, your child, your child is the star of their own show. You, as a parent, you are a, a supporting character. You are not the one that they are not living your life. Like you are here to support them. And so mm -hmm. being big and like, look at me, parenting is not typically the type of parenting I am usually a big fan of personally. Um, and I don't think it feels really good for kids either because there's this level of like shame and embarrassment because they didn't know that they did anything wrong. And now you're telling everybody they did something wrong. So my first thing mm -hmm. is like, Get with them, getting on our level, and just saying, "Hey, do you have to go potty?" That's my first question. Do you have to go potty? No. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You keep you keep grabbing your genitals. Is there something wrong there? Are they are they itchy? Are they is there is there pain there? What's going on? And a lot of times they're like, "Oh, it, it just feels good. I didn't I didn't know I was doing it." It's like, okay, cool. Um, it is perfectly fine for you to be touching your genitals. However, there are safe places to do this. So you can touch your genitals in your own bedroom with the door closed or in a bathroom with the door closed. But it's not really appropriate to be touching your genitals around other people. And after you do so, you need to make sure you wash your hands because there are germs there that we don't wanna be trading with other people. And so there was one of my kiddos, one of my boys, um, I won't say which ones for their privacy, um, but there was, um, we have this rule in our house of, um, if you wanna be naked, you can be naked in your bedroom or in the bathroom, but anywhere else you need to be clothed in the house. And no naked butts on the floor because children are notoriously terrible at wiping their butt, right? And I just like don't need microscopic fecal matter all over my house. I just don't. And so I know. So I was walking by one day and I saw this child fully nude except for a pair of socks. And they were squatting down, but building with Legos in their bedroom. So like they fully abided by all of the rules. Naked bottom was not on the floor and they were in their bedroom and they were building with Legos. And I was like, 
I mean, I can't even get upset about this. They're following all the rules. So right. I, I kind of just like stop at the doorway and I'm like, hey, if you want to build Legos naked, you're perfectly fine to do that. But you need to shut your door when you're doing that. Um, if you would like to keep your door open, that's perfectly fine as well. But maybe just put some underwear on. And so he gets up and he walks over towards me and just stares me in the eyes and shuts the door. And I was like, I got to make it Lego time. Okay, this is what we're doing. And so I went downstairs and like 10 minutes later, they came downstairs fully dressed and showed me like the whatever, the airplane right. they built or whatever it was. And I was like, right. okay. So like I could have said, what are you doing? Put on some clothes. What are you like? And made them feel all bad about it. But it was like, no, you yeah. followed all of the rules. Your naked bottom is not on the floor and you are in your room naked. Those are both safe places for you to be acting like this. And that's what he decided to do. And it was perfectly fine. So I think that, you know, and as the kids have gotten older and we can talk about the sex talk too, if we want to a little bit here, but like, as the kids have gotten yeah. older, we have had conversations about like self-exploration and just kind of like letting like letting them know like there are safe places to do this it needs to be in your bedroom or it needs to be in your bathroom and i make sure that they understand it needs to be your bathroom it is not to be done in your friend's bathroom or your friend's bedroom or the school bathroom or a locker room or a restroom at a restaurant like those are not safe places these are the safe places that you can do this and if you get to a point where you feel physiologically driven to follow these urges there's nothing wrong with that but you may want certain supplies available to you and when that happens let me know and we can get those supplies for you we will set up a process for you to dispose of those supplies and there will never be any questions asked about anything it'll just be these are the towels or the washcloths that are appropriate to be used here and when you are done they will go into the washing machine and they will be washed because i don't need your personal hand towel to be washed next to the rag that i use to wash my face i don't need to be washing those together you know and so it's just having a mutual respect for each other that like hey these things are perfectly normal but let's say set up oh a God. safe environment where everybody feels respected in order to get what they need out of this so that's how we handle that talk in our house and it was met with a little bit of like like because I've actually asked Tanner because because Tanner was obviously he's our guinea pig, right? So he's had these conversations before we had to have these conversations with Lucas. And so I mm -hmm. asked Tanner as we started having to have these conversations with Lucas, how did those land with you? How did you feel you like did you feel like all of your questions were asked? Do you feel like you were given too much information too soon? Do you feel mm -hmm. you know, he was like, um, I think it's all still pretty weird. Um I feel very comfortable with what I know. I don't feel like I was given too much information too fast. And when I think about, because I, I asked him, I go, how do you feel like you would have done in seventh grade if you didn't have the conversations that we had had? And he was like, oh, it would have been terrible. He's like, I wouldn't have known anything that was going on. I would have been really confused on things. People would have made fun of me. It would have been horrible. And I'm like, okay, cool. Mm. If at any point in time you feel like we are sharing too much, then you let us know and we'll, we'll stop. You know, 
But one of the rules mm-hmm. in our house is that if you hear something that you don't understand what it is, don't talk about it. You don't laugh about it. You don't do anything with it until you come home and you ask us. And then we will let you know if that's something that we think is age appropriate for you or if we think that's something that's not appropriate for you yet. And a lot of times I will give them the category. Like this has to do with this overarching theme. Is this information you want to have in your brain right now? And Tanner on multiple occasions, he's like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I don't need to know anymore. Like he was just like, yeah, we're done, <laughs> you know? And so like, cause like we yeah. were watching, we were watching Ted Lasso and there was an act of oral sex that was mentioned in the show. And Tanner was like, what is that? And I was like, well, it has to do with a version of sex. Would you like to know more? And he was like, that's kind of what I figured. I don't need to know anymore. I was like, okay, cool. And so, and so that's just kind of how we handle it. And it just seems so far to be working pretty well with his comfort level and stuff like that. Um, We had the conversation with Lucas about some of these things. He seemed pretty comfortable with it. He seems to come back and ask more questions, very thoughtful questions about reproductive anatomy, wants to know more about um, understanding like female menstruation. He had a great question where he was like, wait, so do all of do does all do all the girls have their periods like at the same time? Or is it he actually said geometric? And I was like, genetic? And he was like, yeah, or is it genetic? Oh. And I was like, that's a fantastic question, Lucas. So we talked a lot about how it is, it is kind of individualized, but when you have groups of women who are in close proximity together, then they tend to sync up. And he was like, that's really cool. And I was like, it is really cool. And so, I don't know, that seems to work with us to just kind of like demystify a lot of like reproductive health and the shame associated with it and understanding a safe place to explore themselves so that they're not, you know, so they understand the gravity of what they're doing. Like Tanner has actually had to set boundaries with kids at school who were like making sexual jokes and stuff like that where it's like, they don't understand. I was like, do you think that they don't understand what they're talking about? He's like, oh no, they know what they're saying. And I go, I should clarify. I understand that they understand the mechanics, what they're saying. Do you think they understand the gravity of the implication? He was like, oh, absolutely not. I was like, okay. So he's had to tell kids, like one of his friends, he was like, like the friend was saying stuff that made Tanner really uncomfortable and felt very inappropriate for school. And Tanner had said like, hey, can you stop talking about this? Like, this is just, I don't want to hear about it. Like, just stop. And the kid was like, oh, come on, man. It's not that blah, blah, blah. Like, it was giving him a hard time. And he was like, no, like, I need you to stop. I don't feel comfortable with this. And the kid kept going. So the next day, Tanner was like, you know what? I'm going to go sit over here for lunch. Like, I asked you to stop doing this. You haven't stopped doing this. I don't feel comfortable anymore. I'm going to go sit over here. And so he left and he went and sat with a different group of kids. And it was like, oh, my gosh. Wow. Like, that's incredible strength that's incredible yeah are you kidding boundary setting like to be in seventh grade and be like listen i know that you're my friend but you're making me feel uncomfortable and i don't want to be associated with this anymore and i need you to stop and you haven't so i think we're done here until you can learn to stop that's insane but i think the more the kids understand the gravity of what is actually happening in the human body the gravity of what the actual acts sexual acts mean the implications of what that means um it's a big deal they they're then it's not i mean it's still weird tanner said he's like that's just it's still that he's like that's just weird like i don't i don't oh yeah of course and i'm like well you don't have to get it you don't have to have interest in it it's fine like you are not 
in my opinion, you are not hormonally developed or old enough yet to feel the need to want to do any of this stuff, but you are hearing it on right. a regular basis. And it's important for you to understand what's being said, which he appreciates. Um, and yeah, and like Lucas was hearing, like his whole conversation started with like, like just straight up like, mom, people are talking about like keep laughing about this number at school. And I'm like, oh, too young for this. Uh, like You're like, so number? Like, oh, no. Like, you know, oh, no. What could that be? It's so weird. What number could um, that possibly be? That? <laughs> I've never heard of a number associated with this. Um, and so I, I kind of told him, I go, you know what, Lucas? I think it's time for us to go have a private conversation. And so we went upstairs and we had the entire sex talk, which I could go into detail about if you want me to, or we can for now. Um, <laughs> you want me to go for it? All right. I, why so not? for the parents out there who have children who they have not had the sex talk for yet, coming from a pelvic PT who talks about sexual health on the Pause. daily. Pause. Or for those adults amongst us who maybe didn't get the greatest sex talk and need to reparent their own inner child a little bit, this one's for you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. So the way, the way, so it far, starts off first with a heavy foundation of using anatomical knowledge for a long period of time. Like my kiddos, as you know, they use anatomical terms for their genitals, for their, all, all parts of their body, right? Like if we're going to call an elbow mm -hmm. an elbow, we're going to call a penis a penis. And so um, my kiddos understand anatomy. We talk about it a lot. My, my kids understand the difference between a testicle and a scrotum. Like they know the difference. And a vulva and a vagina and where they're at. And a vulva and a vagina. Yep, where they are, what's on the outside, what's on the inside. So they know that, that anatomy, that basic anatomy is foundational. From the time they can learn to talk, they are learning those terms. That being said, if you haven't started using this terminology, that terminology with your kiddos, potentially a good opportunity to start that. I think when we have so much fear or shame around words, it just leads to the entire mm -hmm. conversation being very uncomfortable. Like if you never yep. said the word penis to your child, and now you're trying to talk to your fifth grade or sixth grade son about sex yeah. or, or, or reproduction or anything like that because our local school system they do the anatomy talk in fourth grade and they do the sex talk in fifth grade and then they go a deeper dive into sixth grade and seventh grade and so like if you haven't gotten had this conversation yet it's way better for you that the kids to hear it from you than it is for them to hear it from school school is kind of oh, yeah. on what they're allowed to say so anyway that soapbox aside so the way especially with people sex, like children are going through uh i was going to say children are going through menopause we're going through puberty so much earlier these days as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, if yeah. you haven't talked to your child about what that's like, or even just the body parts associated with that, when they're in fifth grade, and suddenly they have to go to the bathroom, and they're like, Mom, I'm dying. What do you expect them to feel? Right, right. Tons of fear, which then means that every time yeah. they have a period, they have this low level peer of fear associated mm -hmm. with it. Um, yeah. There's lots of girls that are starting in third and fourth grade, unfortunately, right now. Not exactly. unfortunately, it's just what their body's doing. But no, it's, but it's right. earlier than what our generation of parenting is expecting. So the conversations mm -hmm. are happening too late. Yes, yes. So like, so like my five-year-old daughter, she knows what a period is. Like all of my children know what it is. 
she is like okay well she, she like wants to see like she has to have this understanding mm-hmm. of like well how much blood are we talking for how right. long of a period of time and it's yeah like, and we talk about it how i say i'm not hurt i'm not injured see i'm i'm smiling i'm standing upright i'm walking around we're playing at the pool like we're still doing all of these things it's not a scary thing mm-hmm. so the way that it was described i heard it and i wish that i could credit the person who came up with this analogy um, for menstruation for little kiddos because um, it's a beautiful analogy and it totally makes sense and we use it in our house but basically every month the the mom sets up a party in her uterus for a baby to come and if there's no baby that shows up then the mommy has to take down the decorations and the decorations come out of the mommy in the form of blood and tissue and it doesn't hurt the mommy it's okay and then the mommy will set up a new party every single month and then if a baby comes then the decorations stay up for the party for the baby and then the baby gets to be born on their birthday and that's how you have the party and if the no baby comes then the mommy has to take down her decorations and so that's what you know this past week when i was on my period that was the conversation like oh we're t- mommy you're taking down your decorations oh yep i gotta take down my decorations oh so my gosh like, so your your belly hurts because you're taking down your yeah my belly kind of hurts a little bit you know but i'll be okay you know and and she's perfectly fine with it she knows she's like and she does say she's like that's kind of gross and i go it is kind of gross it is kind of gross i i wish that it like yeah but it is yeah and just kind of just validating what they're feeling that like yeah it's gross but i'm not injured there's a difference here you know but anyway Mm -hmm. that's how we handle it with her but the sex talk what we do first is now obviously i've only given sex talk to the boys so far but i would just do the reverse for my daughter but we start off with whatever anatomy they are born with and so that's how we start so basically we talk about okay this is you know for me with the boys you know this is you know the penis and the testicles i get out my i do get out my anatomy book so they can see where i get pictures online and i show them kind of where all the anatomical structures are we do you know penis testicles scrotum, urethra, prostate, bladder, everything, chest deferens, and all that jazz. Um, And then we talk about how, like, I show them, like, the tubes, you know, like, okay, so the bladder's coming out the urethra, and then, you know, the the semen and the spermatic fluid mixed together, and that all comes out through, you know, the prostate meets up with the urethra, and that comes out. So if you don't know anatomy, you really should take some time to go and watch some videos so you can talk to your kids about this because it's important mm-hmm. that boys understand that urine and semen both come out through the urethra, but they are not the same substance because that's something right. that's missed in the public schools is they just say it comes out of the penis. Well, then you have a kid with a really hydrated urine and all of a sudden he thinks he's ejaculating in school and has this fear of embarrassment. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> no. That's yeah. What comes with arousal and all that kind of stuff and stimulation okay but so i didn't thought about that like yeah and so they so we talk about like what's the anatomy actually like where is this where is this the sperm coming from where is the urine coming from how are they how do they both use the same tube that kind of thing and then we put that on hold we come over to female anatomy so we talk about okay this is the anatomy of a woman women have three different holes and so, um, and we don't, whether we talk about the clitoris or not, I can't remember. But we talk about like, this is the bladder. This is the uterus where the baby lives. Mm-hmm. This is the rectum. And look at this, look at the similarities. Men and women both have bladders. Men and women both have rectums. 
women have a uterus where the baby lives, their organ is kind of right here. Men have kind of this little one underneath the bladder and that's where the sperm is, that's where their component of the baby is. And so we talk about, so then for a baby, so then we pause the anatomy for the women. Then we say, okay, for a baby to be made, you need to have a sperm and you need to have an egg and they need to meet, merge together, and then implant in the uterus. So if the egg is starting over here in the ovary and it has to come down the fallopian tube into the uterus, how is the sperm gonna get from, the, from over here to the egg? How is that gonna work? And so first we have to get them to the point where they understand it has to come out of the penis. So the first thing that has to happen is it's gotta come out of the penis. Like, okay, where does the penis need to be in order for the sperm to get to the egg so that the egg can end up in the uterus. And so that, that way they kind of look at the pictures and you got all the pictures in front of you and they can kind of say like, oh, does it go through here? It's like, well, nope, do you, do you, that's the rectum. Do you see a tube from the rectum to the uterus? Is that gonna work? And, oh no, that's not gonna work, okay. What well, maybe this, is this, the, you know, okay, that's the vagina. Is there a tube from the vagina up to the uterus? Is that gonna work? Oh yeah, that will work, awesome. So how is the penis gonna get to the vagina? And so then they look at the pictures and my one son, and again, I won't say which one, but he was like, does it need to be ne next to the vagina? And I was like, no, not next to the vagina. And he goes, the vagina? And I was like, nope, not on top of the vagina. Just kind of looked and he's like, inside the vagina? And I'm like, yep, has to be inside of the vagina. And he was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> So, like, all so right. then he like, all right. So he's like, oh, so then the penis goes in the vagina, and then the sperm comes out, and then it has to go like all the way up through the uterus, up into the fallopian tube. And I go, yeah. He was like, that's a really far way to go. And I go, it is a really far way to go. It is. It's a really long journey. But before we have that mm -hmm. conversation, I do pull up videos, like microscopic uh, videos of uh, sperm, mm -hmm. so that they can see what does a sperm nice. look like, how does it move. And then a sperm coming into an egg, what does the egg look like with relation to the size of the sperm? So that they can understand like, okay, this is the connection. This has to get to this and then it has to burrow in. And so when he was able to look at it and he was like, holy cow, those things are tiny and they have to go that far. And I was like, they do have to go that far. And so that is how we have the sex talk. And so we That's end it with, awesome. okay, first of all, like the amount that we just talked about right now, like, I'm like, have you ever heard of an iceberg? Like, have you ever heard the iceberg analogy in, in my one thing? Like, oh yeah, like the tip of the iceberg. It means that you know just a little bit. And I was like, exactly. So the amount that mm -hmm. you know right now about sex, he goes, oh, it's the tip of the iceberg. And I go, no, it is the single snowflake on the top of the tip of the iceberg. That's how much information you know right now, okay? Unfortunately, it's the most information that most people know. That's the sad part. But I said, mm -hmm. the issue is this, you know, a tiny, 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 tiny bit of this entire world of sex. So if at any point in time, you feel like you want to engage in any of these activities, it's incredibly important for you to come back and talk to me so that I can educate you on the rest of the iceberg. Because you're gonna mm -hmm. need to have that information to keep yourself safe. I'm like, there are illnesses and diseases that could happen. There's unwanted pregnancy that could happen. There are injuries that could happen. 
You know, if you're somebody who your first relationship was with somebody who has like um, a particular kink, which I am not an anti kink person. I'm very supportive of that as long as both parties are consensual in that. Um, but you have no reference points and you, and that person is not a good teacher. Like you could have an injury. And so it's important. And I didn't cover that specific part with them, but it's important that kids understand like, okay, I understand. Basically you understand how to turn the car on, but you do not know Mm -hmm. how to drive in LA traffic. Okay. Like, you know, right right now. Right. That's kind of how we do that. And then basically we end it with. It is not your responsibility to educate your friends. It is your friend's parents' responsibility to educate them. So if you feel like, because there's going to be kids who are going to say things and they're going to make fun of you for because you don't know what they're talking about when you absolutely know what they're talking about, but that's okay. It is not your job Mm -hmm. to educate them. You just need to say, hey, you really shouldn't be making jokes about that. There's a lot to it. You need to go talk to your parents or just stay out of the conversation completely. But it's not your job to educate other kids because you don't have enough information to educate them. Like, that's what it comes down to. Right. And and if you hear anything that you don't really understand, then it's insanely important that you come back and you say, can we have a private conversation? I heard something at school today because – these conversations are not conversations that your sister's ready to hear yet. There's a reason why we wait for a certain level of development for that you can, so you can understand this. If if we have these conversations when you're in kindergarten, it's going to feel terrifying. You know, maybe not. Maybe we could have it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll work on that. There might be a way that we can have these conversations that aren't scary. Ooh, but... yeah, like like a water like the different levels, right? Like, like a water the level version. that they start. Yeah. yeah, like the level that they start mm-hmm. putting their hand in their pants. I'll look on that. And how to yeah. how to navigate that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to think on that. How we have a, a Stay tuned. friendly conversation. I know, right? Yeah. Um, but that's how we do it in our house. Is basically understanding the anatomy that they are born with that they currently have, understanding the anatomy of the opposite sex, whether whoever your your child decides to have a relationship with. It's important that they understand both sides of it. They understand how exactly mechanically is a child made and then understanding that they have very limited knowledge and it's not their job to educate others and that if they have questions comments or concerns they need to redirect that back to a safe source if a parent doesn't feel comfortable having this conversation outsource it to somebody who feels very comfortable having this conversation whether that's a school nurse guidance counselor whether whether that's me i'm happy to have that conversation with your your kids um but it's um it's very very important um because one of the things and we mentioned this before but like um the, that study that Valerie was talking about how kids yeah. who and when I say kids at this at this point I'm meeting like like teenagers um those who are actually physiologically big enough to be procreating because even though girls mm-hmm. are kind of developing a little bit sooner not all boys are able to do that yet um. Mm-hmm. In the middle school ages so this is more towards like high schoolers um but Mm -hmm. the more that kids understand their own sexual pleasure the less likely teen pregnancy is because they are not looking outside of themselves for sexual pleasure because Mm -hmm. if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint like before 
before religion was a thing, because that tends to be one of the biggest reasons that people feel shameful about this. I'm not saying it's the only reason, and I'm not saying all religions no. have shame with this. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but no. that, 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 like, wait until marriage because you're supposed to type of a thing, again. The rule is, not is stressed to too much, marriage. and the reasoning is the, is the is message. Lost. Like, the message yes. gets lost. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, but if we think about pre-religion if we think about more Mm -hmm. you know 2,000 years ago it's with the basics of humans you know like we were just a general animal species like anybody else like we weren't anything special Mm -hmm. right unless we get into like you know there's a whole other side of anthropology that people are like we've had we're like on the sixth round of intelligent species so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm completely wrong what I'm saying but that's not what today's about um so if we think about general basic knowledge of our understanding of human evolution 2,000 years ago like or longer than that i should say long more than that actually um we were just animals trying to survive so we required those hormonal instincts to find a mate procreate and keep the species alive so like even though we have from a societal standpoint moved away from just that pure carnal procreative type of state we still have the hormones associated Mm -hmm. with that so and our frontal lobe development our decision making part of our brain is not fully developed until our mid 20s mid 20s so basically we have kids going through puberty with these highly sexualized hormones with no guidance mm-hmm. and no decision making part of their brain fully developed yet they have to be mm-hmm. given as much information as possible on like their own bodies so that they understand the repercussions of what's yeah. happening if we're taught if we teach our if we teach our kids don't touch it, don't look at it, it's inappropriate, this, that, and the other, they're still going to feel a sexual drive. They're still, you're still going to yes. have the girls who are like totally crushing on that math teacher because he's the only teacher under the age of 40. And they're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yep. Oh my God. You know, like, right. And, and it's just, well, you know, you're still going to have boys who are like totally digging the girls for because their shoulders are showing like who knows you know like whatever right right not going to soapbox on on dress code right now which i think is shoulders good thing i think we have conversations yeah i think we should have conversations with our children about how um an exposed shoulder is not an invitation for a sexual advance that's a different story for oh yeah okay um different topic (laughs) different topic but if we can teach our kids that it is safe for them to explore their own body to find sexual pleasure in themselves then they do not need to go speak it outside of themselves. They can use that as part of the relationship as like a, like that is, they they have built on the mental, emotional, mental, emotional and spiritual intimacy with their chosen partner before they progress to that sexual intimacy. And then, mm-hmm. you know, but if you're, you know, if you're somebody who's in your teens, like you really want to make sure that you have a good understanding of your own sexual health so that you are able to be more selective about your partners and not and feel mm-hmm. like you have more value to add in the relationship besides the sexual yeah. component because if you if right. you feel super shameful and guilty about the sexual side of you then there's this like don't let anybody see don't let anybody show it then it's a really big deal when you give that to somebody else it's like a part mm-hmm. of you. And so yep. if you can feel comfortable with yourself and you can say, I actually don't need to go into that relationship to do this or that. I can I can give myself that own, my own sensation there. Then you can see the other person more clearly 
as to like mm -hmm. who they are, are they the right person for you, whatever the case may be, you know? And you can set yourself up for a healthy, healthy sex life. There's yep. nothing wrong with like having a more diverse sex life, but understanding and doing it in a safe way. Like we talked about a little bit with Sarah, sexual awakenings for people. Like I'm, a, I'm in full support of that. Like if you are, if you are working, like if you are in a relationship or by yourself, I should say, mm -hmm. fully consensual to the act with any parties involved. It is a safe mm -hmm. act where nobody's going to be injured or have long lasting illnesses or, or injuries or whatever the case may be, then yeah, go do what you're going to do, you know? But if you are naive right. and you think the only value that you have is that you are a body for somebody else to use, then we've yes. got a really big problem here. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Body, Actually, the more that we hide sex, uh -huh. yeah. But then the more likely we are to be stuck in those situations where people specifically, specifically women are kind of put in the second class role of you are a body to be used by your male partner. That's yep. the value you bring to the table. And it's yep, and your pleasure inaccurate. doesn't matter. Completely exactly. inaccurate. Yeah. I, I actually, um, I love this because it, it's all like coming full circle with what we talked about in the beginning, right? So like everything that I'm seeing is people who have had a lot of trauma, sexual trauma, which is, let's call a spade a spade, majority of women these days have had some sort of interaction that crossed a boundary in some way, shape or form. It is what it is. Well, what women and don't understand is like coercion is part of that. Coercion is part exactly. of that. So that's exactly. So, so, so the, the piece that ties together for me is that majority of these people have an underlying fear or wound or trauma that's revolving around receiving love and receiving joy and feeling it within their bodies and then expressing that to others, right? And so if at a young age you are taught that it's not safe to experience those emotions and those sensations and then the rest of your life from the age of that lesson through the time that your hormones develop and like really you're like feeling the you know the the biological call to express it we are piling more on top of the evidence barrels full of things for guilt and shame and so that doesn't take away our need for love and joy and connection. That actually just makes it harder for us to obtain it. And so we seek it out in other areas. So within the body code specifically, this happens a lot with like a heart wall, a heart wall being present and the physical action of your body, your heart seeking out joy, love, your brain seeking out dopamine. You can you can call it whatever you want, but ultimately, when we have suppressed this area of human development, of human experience, we force that individual to then go through life without all of their resources on board, without everything online for them to be able to have context in the situation and learn the lessons they're supposed to learn. So if they don't have those resources and they're not able to tap into that, they're only able to tap into what they've been given. 
which is the hormones that are telling them they want to do it and the guilt and shame that's telling them that that makes them a bad person, right? And so then we throw in purity culture and we make it that it's only okay if that person loves you and you love that person. But if you don't know how to receive love and what that feels like, that dynamic is going to be flawed from the jump. So you're automatically seeking love and joy from an outside source because you don't know how to find it within yourself because it's been demonized, right? By the touching, by the sensation, by everything. And so it only compounds into more physical manifestations of those emotional traumas because you never stop seeking that. That's the whole reason we're here is to experience that love and joy. That's literally the point of being on this planet. And so if we, and like, okay, you could even say, what's the point of a human being? Some would argue to procreate, to keep producing. How are we gonna do that if we're gonna continue to shame and guilt that natural physiological process? And now we've taken, we've gone even further the other way and made it to where like that baby that's inside you, that's not your choice. It doesn't matter how it came. You don't get to decide how you feel about that. And that child could be a result of deeply, deeply buried psychological trauma that they've never worked through. And they are in that body. Their authentic self is like screaming, like, please let me out. This doesn't feel right. I'm supposed to feel joy. I'm supposed to feel excitement. I'm supposed to be happy about this life, this miracle that I've been given that I'm creating. And all that I feel is broken and overwhelmed and unprepared and like a failure because that's what I've been told my whole life I am. And that if I give in to these desires, to these sensations, I'm a bad person. And as a result, everything I've done is wrong and bad and awful. Like we take away the, the ability for our children to develop self-love. And so what you've done is you've created a safe space for your children to experience it, to explore it, to build Legos naked. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you've given them that agency and that that area for them to truly go and be free on their own. And like, that's such a gift, such a gift, because they know what it feels like. They're they're not going to be searching for an external source to elicit that response within their body, and then they misconstrue that as being love and joy, right? Because that's what happens. We get turned on by the other party and we're so not used to it and so foreign to that sensation that we're like, hold on a second, that felt really good. That must mean, that must mean they love me. That's what this is. I must be worthy of love if I can now feel this sensation because they've given it to me. And then they don't call you the next day And you're like, I don't understand. Again, I'm the problem. So you're still not able to make that connection with 
that sexual experience being about you because that's what it is. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about your sexual experience joining with someone else's and making magic together. And what happens is not that. It's like a cert. It's almost a service. We go into it with like, a, okay, this is a duty that I'm supposed to fulfill to my partner because I have the parts that connect with his. Yeah, and that's huge because I have the amount of the amount of m- m- women really is who I've seen the most of with that, that experience. This. Yeah, who come in to see me as newlyweds who've waited until marriage. And again, I have no problem waiting until marriage. Yep. Um, no. But who waited until marriage and then tried to have sex on their honeymoon or on their wedding night and were in such severe pain that they yep. think they're like broken. And then they have this mm-hmm. massive level of guilt, shame, obligation of, oh, I tied this guy down and now I can't have sex with him. And I'm like, mm-hmm. do you want to have sex with him? And they're like, well, I mean, like... You know, he's just been waiting a really long time. I was like, what? Do you really think that he married you just for your orifices? And if so, why did you marry this person? You know, like if you genuinely think that the only thing you're bringing to the table is your pelvis in some way, shape, or form, that's not a good reason to marry somebody. Like, the amount of times that we kind of like start working through that. And what they end up finding, which is such a beautiful thing, is more often than not, their husband will come into the appointments with them. What can I do to help? I don't want to hurt her. I don't need to have sex. Like, this is okay. I know this is going to take time. I don't want Mm -hmm. her to be in pain. And it's like for for my patient to then hear from their partner of like, oh, I do have more value than just this. I've been putting this on me. I have been told forever that this is the role of the woman to just suck it up and deal with it. Now they can kind of start start that healing. And then we start seeing massive levels of improvement because then they can actually start trusting Mm -hmm. that their partner doesn't want to hurt them, that they don't actually have to just shut up and take it, that they can say, oh, wait, hold on a second, that hurts. And then they can relax their body again. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And then now all of a sudden the communication's picking up and now all of a sudden the pain is starting to resolve. And it's like, it's this, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal when you come into the relationship thinking that you have no other value than that into the sexual relationship, I should say. And oh yeah. Thinking that the sexual relationship is the most important component of the relationship. We mm-hmm. talked about this before with the study about the marriages, right? Where we were looking at yes. the marriage, they were looking at marriages and yes. happy marriage versus an unhappy marriage and where, who was having more sex and what it showed was, is the happy marriages mm-hmm. are having more sex and the unhappy marriages are having less sex. And the fallacy that was concluded from this was that if you have more sex, therefore you will be happier, which is completely yep. inaccurate. It's completely inaccurate. So then you have people completely. who are now putting this huge emphasis on like, you need to have sex by this date. You need to have good sex, whatever that means. You need to have, you know, all these criteria of what sex actually means in order to have a good relationship. When really, if you would have asked any of those, those parties that were in these happy marriages, it was, we feel such intense mental, emotional, and spiritual closeness that we choose to elevate that through our physical closeness. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a great, great, great book out called um, Come As You Are, where she talks about the author, um, Emily, I'll look it up. Um, we can, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. Um, but it's a great book about like 
accelerators and brakes. Like that's one of the, the philosophies that she has where it's like, you need to learn what your accelerators are and what your brakes are. Where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, if I'm, if I'm walking into a house where I see the sink is, the sink is full and the family room is a mess and the kids are running around screaming and I go upstairs and there's like laundry overflowing. Like if my husband even so much as looks at me, right. Like, you're, you're, right. You might die tonight. This you're is like, not going to happen. These pants you're aren't like, coming off. Sorry. No, there's so much stuff. To do. I cannot possibly think about this. Yes. Whereas right. the opposite side for him, where it's like when he experiences stress, he finds comfort in the physical closeness. When yeah. I experience stress, I become very introverted and it's like action mode, mm-hmm. problem solve, get this done. I cannot yeah. focus on anything else until all no. the work is done. That's a huge yeah. incompatibility. And we've been together for 20 years. Yeah. I'm the worst wife in the world. He's the one who remembers these things. We've been together for a long time. 20 years, I think. Maybe 21. Um, time is just a construct. And so, I mean, there we go. Um and so it'll be 21 this August. Okay, I'm good. Um, and so that's a huge incompatibility. And it took us mm-hmm. an embarrassingly long time, 15 years to figure out that's what was going on between us. Where it was right. Like he felt like I was pushing It wasn't just away. a fight. I felt like he was being needy. Right. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like yeah. solve your own problems. Okay, you have hands. And he exactly. was like, oh my gosh, my wife hates me. And it was like, no, neither right. one of those are true. It's we're both stressed no. and we handle our sexual yes. relationship differently in stress. So now that we have a better understanding of this, we do a lot. We, we spend a lot more time in our relationship trying to downregulate the stress so that mm-hmm. I'm available and he is available mentally and emotionally and spiritually so that we can then elevate the relationship physically. And so... Mm-hmm. Anyway, that book is amazing. It really helps like open up a lot of that kind of stuff. But I love that going back to the kind of that purity culture situation of like, if you are sitting here in a society that's telling you, don't look at it, don't touch it, don't think about it. You're bad, evil, horrible person. If you do, you know, but it feels so good. Exactly. Which is shameful. That's the devil, all that kind of stuff. And then go put on a white dress. And then now go procreate. Mm-hmm. What a yep. mind F is that? Right? Oh, yeah. Like, even people oh, who yeah. don't come, because, like, purity culture is not a religious thing. I mean, it's heavily a- available in religious cultures, but it is not, you don't have to be in a religion to be raised in a purity culture type of environment. If you have parents no. who are very uncomfortable with sexual, like, like if you right. have parents who because came from their a, parents a religious were background. uncomfortable with sexual yes exactly and they may have stepped away from their church their religion whatever the case may be they may be raising you completely different than they were raised but if they themselves never mm-hmm. healed that sexual trauma that lack of education that lack of safety and comfort within their own bodies or with their partners and now they're not having conversations with you you're left with just this oh this is embarrassing and shameful and I shouldn't do anything about it and it's it just mm-hmm. exacerbates the whole process. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know. I agree. And I, I also think that like, there's, there's obviously so many different kinds of sex, but something that I have highlighted within my clients is the woman's experience and how um, often it's, 
feel external. It is still like their, I'm looking for this word, like their sexual desire is triggered, it's turned on by the experience of the counterpart, right? And so it's like the action that they're doing is turning them on. So they get turned on by that, right? And I'll be the first to say that I've experienced that myself for quite some time. And it is a completely different experience when you are having a sexual experience that is focused on you and how you are feeling about what's going on and then how they feel as a result. So one of the things I talked with my client about was that there would be moments where her significant other would be initiating things and she would have the desire, but just really kind of on that edge, right? Could sort of go either way, but wasn't really like into it, right? And so I'm like, so in those moments, what is it that you do? And she's like, well, we have sex. It's just, it is what it is. And I'm like, well, how, how does that go? Right. How does that happen? And she's, you know, she tells me the normal, whatever. I'm like, so have you thought about like in those moments, if you do have the desire, but it's like the effort going to the effort of like turning it all the way on, like you can't quite get that key there. Why don't you make it all about you? Like if he's the one whose key is already there, you're only receiving. It's his job to turn your key the whole way, to help you turn your key the whole way, right? And so being in a place of only receiving, whether that physical touch, massage, that, I mean, and that's, that's a huge thing for me. That's what I've always used, especially after my hysterectomy, because I was told that the largest sexual organ for a woman is their mind. And if I had any reservations, any fear going into my first sexual experience after my hysterectomy, I wasn't going to be able to achieve the state of arousal that was necessary to have a pain-free experience. And then I would be re-traumatizing myself repeatedly. And so getting into that relaxed state and really allowing that energy to flow within my body was necessary. And so if there were moments that like I wasn't all the way where I needed to be to have that happen, but I wasn't like my body wasn't shutting down at the advances. It was just kind of not as it was just taking a little bit more, right? Like it just, there was a little bit more resistance. That's what we did. Yeah. And it worked and it worked. And it was like, huh? Okay. Now my clients are implementing that and they're like, yeah, you know, there's a whole different like sensation when your arousal stems on being seen rather than just existing and partaking. Mm -hmm. Actually being seen and how for women, that's part of it. That's part of it is when we shut down that love, we shut down that joy because it's not safe. We try to be invisible, but at the same time, we're like, please love me. Please love me. Tell me I'm worthy. But at the same time, I'm just going to hide. I'm going to hide everything that's real back here because it's not safe. But what I show you on the outside, can you love that? Is that okay? Can you accept me? 
and then it leads to who have yeah good go no the amount of women out there who have tolerant sex and it's like it may have a positive end result both parties may have a fantastic orgasm but the amount of women who have tolerant sex versus excited or pleasurable sex and it's like yeah. You know, it's insane to me where it's like, they don't even I know the difference. Take it or leave they don't it. know it's that there's fine. a difference. No, no, yeah, no. And what they, what I talk to a lot of my patients about, because I am yet to have somebody who has come to see me for pelvic pain. Who's like, I love sex. It just hurts. That does not happen. No, except, except for, no. except for like traumatic injury. So if they had a surgery or a baby or something like that, that's a different story. But I'm okay. talking about people who are like having yeah. pelvic pain outside of a birth injury right. or outside of a surgery no i've never had any of them come to me and be like i love sex mm-hmm. i love it it just hurts never once um because nope. there's so much of the emotional stuff behind it there's so much yeah. guilt and shame that they don't feel they don't feel safe they don't know what it means if they were to actually initiate if they were to actually enjoy themselves if they yeah. were to move and ride and feel and love it yeah all that kind of stuff and just free and like their body. release if they were to just do that mm-hmm. yes and what is their partner going to think of them you know what are they going to think yep. are they going to think that i'm you know mm-hmm. all these negative words going through their head because right. at the end of the day the sad and pathetic thing that many women think in society and many men think as well is that the version of women that men want is this demure quiet like mm-hmm. pretty little thing yep. out in public who will be yep. insanely knowledgeable and um you know whatever yep. adventurous in the bedroom mm-hmm. and it's like those yep. don't really go together to be honest if no. you have somebody who's confident enough to explore mm-hmm. and try new things Rarely are they the one who's going to shut their damn mouth when you're spouting off. Like, they're not. No, exactly. And so, exactly. like, it's just allowing them to have this freedom and trusting that your partner still loves you for you. It, it's mm-hmm. this whole, it's this whole thing. It's a, it's a whole thing. Letting but that flame why, just, like, actually. Yeah. Well, because what I talk with my patients about is, like, listen, you enjoying sex doesn't have a ton to do with your pelvic floor like it does right now it does right now because right now right now yeah fearful painful sex right now right. it's fearful painful sex and we need to work on that and we will work on that so we do mm-hmm. all the stuff we do the manual therapy and we do the down training and we do the stretching and we do all the all the things that need to be done in order to take them from fearful painful sex to non-fearful tolerant sex and like mm-hmm. i can give you some counseling on that but I highly recommend instead that to move from tolerant, comfortable sex to move to pleasurable sex, that we work with a coach who specializes in that. And I have sexual health coaches that I recommend, or it's a body code referral in order to be like, let's get rid of the trauma that's keeping you from getting there. But having, if you right. want to have a pleasurable sex life, this is 100% accessible to you, depending on what yeah. you want to do with that. If you feel like, you know what, I am happy to have a tolerant, pain-free sex life. That's really all I'm looking for. Okay, cool. You can hang out there. Awesome. Somebody who's like, I'm in painful, fearful sex, and I want pleasure and excitement. We got some work to do, and it's 100% doable work, but we've got work to Mm -hmm. do. 
Right. And it starts by letting them know that that's an option, which is, I think is what's so beautiful about this conversation even is just that like, nobody talks about this. Nobody talks about the differences and nobody knows what to expect. You know, like you identify with good sex is likely go, still going down that shame and guilt route. Right. Like deeply inside. Oh, yeah. Like I have had. Yeah. Like, okay. Without sharing too much, let's just say my husband and I are quite compatible. He has a very high success rate. If what we are talking about with sex is orgasm. That being said, many years of my life was tolerant. Mm -hmm. Like I knew it would feel good. I knew that I knew my body well. I didn't want to do it. I felt tired. Mm -hmm. I just felt need too much too much neediness all around yes out touched for the day like i just Uh wasn't interested right so it took us a lot of like i said a lot of work to down train the stressors Mm -hmm. and so like he takes he as an extrovert is very much more like he loves being around people he feeds off the energy he just feels so fulfilled Mm -hmm. Whereas I, more on the introverted side of things, feel completely depleted by people. And so if you're somebody that I hang out with, it's a big deal. Like I genuinely want to be there because I'm very selective about the people I'm around because it is so depleting for me. And so Mm -hmm. like he will, he will take the brunt of a lot of social engagements for me because while I may love the people there, it's too big of a group for me. That, like, I'm going to live with a headache. I'm going to feel exhausted. It's just not worth my time. Yeah. It's like, I would love to hang out with every single person in that group, but in, like, a group of, like, two or three at a time. A smaller setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll take the brunt. Yeah. He'll take the brunt of that, you know? He's like, I got you, um, babe. Yeah, for sure. Because then he'll feel great. You save that energy for later. Wonderful. Exactly. And so, so we have, again, it's been a 20-plus year relationship. And a lot of growth and a lot of learning. But it's like knowing what each person's preferences are from a from a bunch of different perspectives, you know? Like mm-hmm. I am much more available when these certain things are checked off the list. He's much more available yep. all of the time. Um, and so it's just kind of like getting to know what works for each other so that you can move uh-huh. from tolerant into enjoyable. Yes. We've talked about like hormonally yes. for me for a while there, my stress was basically tanking my hormones and I was like murderous. Mm-hmm. I was angry. I hated everybody. Mm-hmm. And it was like heartbreaking for him. And for me, cause I knew that I loved him, but I was just like, mm-hmm. could you need one more thing in life? Seriously. And he was like, I, I just was right. my inhaler. I'm like, it was so loud. You know, like I was a hateful, angry person. It was terrible. Yeah. And so like, you know, I was just, I, had actually called I ended up actually calling my friend who's a sex therapist and I was like there's something wrong with me and she's like yeah but I don't think this is my area I think we need to get you with a naturopath and so we did and it was like that was what the issue was is I was like tanking my hormones mm-hmm. she was like yeah if you guys yeah. take care of that and then you still need some help come talk to me and so mm-hmm. um but there, it's just kind of like getting all the things online making sure that your 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 person is supportive making sure that there is enthusiastic consent on both sides mm-hmm. like we chatted about this before mm-hmm. enthusiastic consent versus consent if you're going yeah. over to like if i was going to ask you to dinner and i was like hey chelsea you want to get some dinner and you were like yeah i mean that's that's fine mm-hmm. if you want to and then i was to be like abigail do you want to get some dinner and she's like oh my gosh i would love to get dinner with you this is amazing i've been waiting for you to get dinner with me i'd be like okay i'm gonna go to dinner with abigail 
Chelsea, peace out. You know, like if you're right. in right. a relationship with somebody, you're like, hey, what do you think tonight? And the person's like, yeah, I mean, that's fine if you want to. That's not enthusiastic consent. They're, they are, that is mm -mm. tolerant consent. Even if this is a, right. even if this is a mutual, like consensual long-term relationship, that is tolerant consent. Now, if you mm -hmm. guys have set, set a boundary in your relationship that, hey, tolerant consent is perfectly fine for us, then that's, that's your business. But if you're not familiar with the difference between tolerant consent and enthusiastic consent, get familiar with that mm -hmm. because it's going to make a big difference in the relationship. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I feel like we could go on about this for hours. Might need a part two. We could, but um, we, we might. We might Unfortunately, have you have to go. Yeah. I do have part to go. Um, but that being said, anybody who is in the Columbus area and would like to learn more about getting in tune with your body, understanding that physical manifestation of emotional symptoms, um, a little bit of that processing of what's going on in your body and just kind of noticing those physical changes that happen as your emotions change. Kelsey and I are doing a seminar. If you want to come out and hang out with us, um, we'll put the details down in the show notes on April 8th from noon to three. And then we're going to go out for a happy hour afterwards. Um, so if you're yeah. in the Columbus area, you want to join us, please check out the details below. We would love to have you. We are keeping this group quite small um, because we want to create a really safe, comfortable container for everybody so that you can feel comfortable sharing if you want to share and knowing that you're not in a group of, you know, 30, 40, 50 people. So um, go ahead and check out the show notes on that. I think that's all I've got for today. Chelsea, anything for you to add? Yeah, you've covered it. That was great. Well, thank you all for paying attention today and for listening. And I hope this helps you feel a little bit more comfortable having those anatomical and sexual conversations with your children so that we can hopefully raise a, um, an entire society of enthusiastic, consenting sexual experiences and increasing people's responsibility for their own sexual pleasure so that they are not seeking it. And love and joy. Love and joy. We need some love and joy in this world. Um, but yes, have a wonderful rest of your week and we will see you next time. Thanks for sticking around for yet another fantastic, groundbreaking episode. We live in a society full of pressure around sexuality, constantly being barraged with contradicting messages of guilt, shame, obligation, and oftentimes a twisted conclusion of what that should look like for women. As parents, many of us are looking for healthy ways to raise our children, to be mindfully aware of these things when the time comes without dressing it up in toxic thought patterns that more often than not, we were taught by our own well-meaning parents. I hope that you walk away from this episode feeling more prepared for these conversations, as well as more mindful of how you are arriving emotionally and energetically in your own sexuality and the places that those energies are coming from. If you've enjoyed listening in today, don't forget to like and subscribe. I invite you to visit us on Facebook and join the Healing Art community where you can be a part of exclusive conversations on our journeys towards joy, freedom, and abundance. Check out the show notes below for more information about Allison and Chelsea's upcoming seminar, as well as links and resources from the episode. Until next time, this has been the healing art of being you. Love and light.